Hello. Hello. Every time I do that, my dog always looks really fucking surprised. Oh, like, who are you saying hi to? I'm right here. I've been here the whole yeah. time. <laughs> I think it's just, like, the enthusiasm behind it. He's just like, you don't sound like that. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Something's uh, wrong. You sound happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think you always sound happy. It's fine. I was that just is... checking to see if my cat was back there, but he's not. <laughs> oh, just putting putting animals on display today. I know. He was actually in the room yesterday. Since we're moving, you know, we can have people in the spare room. We usually have people, we have, our animals don't come in the spare room because in case people come and stay and they have like allergies, we want sure. it to be like a, a hair-free room. But since we're moving and no one's coming to stay with us before we're moving, the cats can come in here. <laughs> Just get it, get it in, get in every room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how is that going? You guys, were you guys just doing like a mass packing situation? Like, um, well, oh, I'm Al. <laughs> oh, I'm just, <laughs> um, and yeah, so, uh, we're moving to Norway. Woo! Yay, you bitch. I'm so jealous. <laughs> it's like that thing where you're like, I'm so happy for you, but then I'm also like, I fucking hate you though. Thanks for leaving me. No, I'm very happy for you. You're not going to be out on an island anymore. You'll be on a very snowy, snowy coastal country. Fjord. We're actually going to be on a fjord. Um, Shut up. So Why would you even say that? Why? <laughs> like an island. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're really excited. Our house is in complete disarray because we have shit that we're storing, shit that we're donating, and shit that we're going to try to like sell before we leave. And so just everything is everywhere and we're pulling out (laughs) like it's the time of your life where you pull out everything you've hidden the entire time you've lived in a place and you're like oh I guess I should deal with this now (laughs) yeah yeah I mean arguably you're supposed to do that like every few years but nobody ever does that so uh you're normal I guess but (laughs) Yeah, fucking Norway. I'm just going to be living with you all the time. <laughs> you can come out on a Shenzhen visa for 90 days. I think it's Schengen visa for 90 days. And you can use that time to look for jobs. And if you get a job when you're there, then you just apply for a work visa. And with your employer contract and everything, uh, this is what I wish we would have done is why I even got told by the consulate, like, this is what you should have done. (laughs) (laughs) So it's whatever, but we go for our immigration interviews in like two weeks and then we will get a visa and then we will move. And like the Mr.'s application packet is so massive. Yeah, Um, I can't have that. Yeah, because he has to verify that we're married and that we didn't just get married, like, so that he could move to Norway, which is weird because we've been together for so long. (laughs) It's not like you knew this job was coming. (laughs) He never wanted to leave the the island, like, when we met. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it was all an evil plan, I guess, and all all an evil ploy. Like, no, it's not at all. Um, He's very happy, too. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you couldn't be happy to. Norway's so fucking beautiful. I'm definitely coming out in March for my birthday. By the way, I've already decided that. Yay! I don't know what Shaggy. year. Oh, that's awesome. What... Oh, good. <laughs> I don't know what, yeah, your schedule is going to be like, but I assume that you'll have some breaks and whatnot. I get 25 days off a year. I get paid. So the way it works, it's really weird. So we get these days off and then you accrue extra, like you accrue payment for vacation time for that time off the year before. Because I have 25 days off, I get like 12.5% of my salary every day or something like that. Like that's, that's the pretty tw- cool. It's weird. And so you get it paid in a lump sum payment in June. My employer does it in June. And it's like, yay, I get paid to take a vacation. Nothing wrong with that. I was actually like thinking about how this country is inevitably headed towards a recession because we just fucking are. I was like, oh, you should move into education because it's like the one industry that they're not going to collapse on it, basically. Like, especially in this state, uh, we're so desperate for public educators. And then I can have summers off. <laughs> yeah. Your summers are shorter than my summers at the university, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I, it would be so nice to have like six weeks where I wouldn't have to work. What is that like? It's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I wanted to teach at the university, like not only getting to do research and educate like future researchers, educators, community practitioners, and stewards of the land, which is like so awesome, but also because you get winter break, you get a week in spring, you get summers off. I usually work through the summer just because I don't need more than a month, but like that, I mean, those are great perks for yeah. teaching for sure <laughs> yeah totally uh, cool dude well everybody say congratulations to alicia that's a fucking killer killer life change uh i wish it was my life change i <laughs> am happy it's yours i wish it was both of ours and then this <laughs> podcast couldn't be called out on an island anymore though <laughs> it would be out on a fjord well, yeah, I mean, sure, out on a fjord is fine if we both moved, but we had talked too <laughs> about how, how out on an island works because sometimes emotionally you're on an island all by yourself or, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, a lady yeah. who's going to live in beautiful Norway. <laughs> so I don't yeah. even want to hear it. Okay. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> Let's talk about the... (laughs) No, I'm really happy for you. Let's talk about current events. Current events. Other than that current event. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody else's Uh, current event. Yeah. So locally, there's a whole bunch of crazy stuff going on. They just did these like midterm races. Our primary is coming up in August, I believe. Yeah. For local, local government officials. And so we just had some people drop out of races Um, BJ Penn, who we talked about in another episode, is uh, in second place in the GOP race. Um, Fuck me. Yeah, but like, but 48% of voters said that they are primarily undecided, I believe, for the Republican race. Uh, So that's really weird and interesting. It's really weird and interesting that he's running on a Republican platform. I was unaware that he was a Republican 
Oh, yeah. Him and his whole family are total Republicans and Trump supporters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. Cool. Who else dropped out? Um, Kai Kahele might need to drop out. He didn't get enough public funding. He is like 20 or 30 points behind Josh Green. So Kai Kahele is in second place. He's another local boy makes good kind of person. So Lieutenant Josh Green, who is a doctor who like basically really did try to like course correct a lot of mistakes when he was Lieutenant Governor for handling the COVID-19 pandemic. He wound up getting fired like because Ige didn't want his opinion contradicted in public or something. I'm not real sure. By what a happened. doctor. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. Ige just didn't want him to have input anymore because Ige kept being like, I don't know. And Josh Green kept being like, I'm a doctor. And he'd be like, oh, how embarrassing. Get out of here is exactly what happened. Like <laughs> in those like layman's terms too, because Ige, our governor in the state of Hawaii for like, what has he been like the past eight years Ike? I have no idea long time he fucking sucks and throughout the entire pandemic he basically just shirked responsibility he's also the same man who was responsible for that nuclear missile miss alert that we had like a few years back that literally just you know we all thought we were gonna die from a nuclear war for 30 minutes and like they knew after like the first like six minutes, I think that like it was an accident, but nobody wanted to cop to it for like an additional, you know, twenty minutes. <laughs> so, like, sh- is that really the timeline? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. There was like they realized pretty early on that it was like a because it's a drop bar. That's all that was like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so somebody just hit. Which that's a terrible system for something so crucial, but like somebody like clicked the wrong thing on this drop bar, and then they like realized it pretty immediately because everybody started getting texts that missiles were coming, and then they were like, "Uh oh!" And I'm sure that they just had to like sit down and figure out how to save face in this event, you know. So that took like an additional like 20 minutes or something like that for them to actually issue like a public response. Meanwhile, like, people were, like, putting their fucking kids in the sewers and shit. Yeah, on Oahu. (laughs) I mean, it's not funny, but... It's very funny now because (laughs) we didn't die from a nuclear missile. The really funny part was, like, we were still living in Kapoho at that point. I was, like... Yeah, living in, Right before the lava. Yeah, exactly. We were, like, living in this tiny little jungle shack in Kapoho, and we got the alert and then somebody oh malian my my friend malian shout out to malian um she texted me and was like did you get this and i was like no and then like i got it two seconds later and she was like are we gonna die and i was like maybe maybe (laughs) i'm glad that (laughs) we're texting each other (laughs) but i knew like pretty much immediately that it hadn't that that wasn't going to be real because the air raid sirens weren't going off and they had just reinstalled like nuclear war air raid sirens from like the fucking cold war era you know because trump was president and (laughs) And anything was was possible yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's why it was so believable too like (laughs) we were asleep so i woke up when the i think we both woke up with the all clear alert 
And I was like, huh, I'm glad we didn't die. And the minister was like, yeah, we would be totally safe. There's mountains like blocking us. And I was like, (laughs) yeah. So we, when we woke up, we actually spent some time calculating like with maps and shit, what the fallout would be like. Like, yeah, because that's how we are. And like (laughs) (laughs) how, where it would actually need to hit us. And so it would have to clear like, Hualalai, Mount Ikea, um, Mount Aloha, like it would actually have to hit in Hilo to have any detriment to us. Even if it was out at sea, like we would be yeah. fine-ish, you know? I think the radiation would be the scary part though. Like, yeah, for sure. What happened in Chernobyl with that like nuclear reactor, like everything within like a, what, like 40 mile, 50 mile radius? Yeah, that's why the fallout's not so bad. Like, it would literally, yeah. I mean, 40, 50 miles is bad, um, but it's not decimated. I think it decimates in, like, 256 feet or something. And then, yeah, fallout is still in the Uh, double digits. Yeah, I'm sorry. Chernobyl affected 30 kilometers or 19 mile radius from the power plant. But, like, still... That's, like, everything that was in that radius at the time and, like, animals travel and shit, you know what I mean? So, like, there is, like, nuclear uh, radioactivity, like, moving outside the area and, like, you know, mutant animals and stuff, which we probably just don't need a nuclear missile to hit Hawaii. That would be really great if it just didn't. Yeah, that would be amazing. Please don't do that. (laughs) I would appreciate it. (laughs) Um, sincerely out on an island podcast (laughs) dear scary authoritarian governments um, (laughs) this went someplace (laughs) yeah it definitely went in a way different place i don't even remember where it started honestly um lieutenant josh green oh yeah first place for the election, for the primaries. Yeah, I'm going to vote for him. <laughs> Me too. You're not supposed to say that, but I'm going to. Yeah. I don't know why we're not supposed to talk about it. Like, he's legitimately a doctor, and he spent his time doing community rural medicine. Like, that is his specialty. Like, Yeah. Also, he's, like, competent. Like, I'm sorry, but I don't understand, like, what Vicky Caetano's, like, whole platform is, like, other than nepotism or, like... Ben her whole thing is I'm not Ben and so we actually thought she was going to be a democrat wait she is democrat is yeah, she democrat? she's definitely okay. democrat her whole platform is I'm not Ben <laughs> which is like cold girl that's your that's your husband <laughs> um, <laughs> cool well that's good news I'm happy about that I mean ugh, BJ Penn you're really bumming me out bro I have a cool a couple cool things and they both revolve around llamas so that's really neat i'm ready for the llamas bring them on in an article pulled from medical news today written july 5th 2022 by annie lennon they have found that super immunity particles from llamas may provide uh, protection excuse me against covid19 Yeah, apparently there is molecules from llamas that can neutralize all SARS-CoV-2 strains that cause COVID-19, including Omicron, which we like haven't found yet, which is fucking dope and adorable. 
It um, is. I'm wondering how it's possible. I'm, I don't, I'm not a biologist or a virologist, like, by training, so I don't really know how that would happen, but I guess it makes sense if it attacks something on, like, whatever, like, the root is. Yeah, um, I guess what they have is nanobodies. Um, that sounds so cute and yeah. scary. <laughs> that they have one polypeptide chain instead of two and they naturally and it's like just naturally produced in llamas and due to their small size they can target viral antigens with high affinity and selectivity so i guess they're malleable it can be like altered to particularly chase down covid strains or like a uh, sars strains which is fucking great and very cool and llamas are the best that is really great and cool. And I didn't really like llamas till now because they, I think they're scary, especially when people put like eyelashes on them. <laughs> and... uh, they're, they're pretty fine. Um, I, there's a lot of people who like raise alpacas and stuff up uh, on my, you know, hometown. So they spit. That's like one thing that's not that cool about them. But an, on another... Uh, happy notes surrounding llamas they those same antibodies may also help design treatments for parkinson's disease that's amazing yeah which is really fucking cute that they're they're so goddamn important all of a sudden someone you know, out there is like i told you yeah <laughs> just some llama farmer who's been loving his llamas or her llamas or their llamas forever um yeah, anyway, so that's news. You have any uh, any other news you want to share? Um, I just stumbled across this thing. It's from last year, but I feel like it's really cool and inspirational. That, sorry, I just got an alert from a friend who just also started a podcast. Oh. <laughs> um, I It's from last year, but... Uh, a lot of seniors, you know, they were facing isolation um, in senior homes because they couldn't have anybody come and visit them because we still didn't have a vaccine yet. And uh, so what this lady did, she started a company and they delivered tech to uh, elderly people in care homes so that they could, you know, um, virtually visit with their family members. I just thought that was a great touching, like heartwarming story. And I hope that we do that more. Yeah, that's definitely one thing we're going to start doing because we definitely hit some like pretty big downers in this show. <laughs> so <laughs> we got to yeah. some fucking levity every once in a while. What about you? Any other news? Not any other news. No, not really anything at all. Uh, we're recording like sequentially right now, like one day after another, because uh, I've been away and we're trying to like restock our episode bank. And so it's really hard to think about, <laughs> you know, things on a day to day basis. It's a lot easier when a week goes by and there's stuff happening in between. Yeah, that's true. We didn't talk about our lyrics for last time's episode. Do we have lyrics for this week's episode yet? I guess we can just go ahead and break the ice and say that this week's episode is a deep dive. Last week, we kind of explored like the 
chicken or the egg sur- uh, sorry situation surrounding you know the punk rock versus metal scene and like which one came first and like how they are alike and how they're different so in honor of that we are doing a deep dive into what i would consider to be the beginning of punk rock at its roots and that is the stooges 1969 album the stooges um so i guess if we're gonna use any (laughs) lyrics they should be from the stooges (laughs) i agree i don't know what they're gonna be yet so hang on everybody you'll be surprised i don't know i think it I, I think it would be cool if it was from, like, Anne, because that's not as well-known a song as, like, No Fun or, I mean, the rest of the songs on the album, pretty much. We will we will end or whatever. They could also come from that. Yeah. We, just as an aside, are we just doing the Stooges or are we doing the Stooges and Black Sabbath? Uh, yeah, I think that we will do Black Sabbath as well, just to kind of like highlight what we talked about in terms of like musical history in the beginning of like punk rock and the beginning of like heavy metal. Okay, cool. But yeah, you all are, if we keep this, uh, you all are getting an insight into our process of finding yeah. <laughs> songs, like lyrics for our titles. I mean, it happens exactly how you think it happens. <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no mystery here anyway yeah so let's dive on in 1969 okay so i just broadly want to comment that i feel like we did a good job well you honestly did a good job putting these albums together with against well not against each other but like to look at them at the same time because they really do complement each other in so many ways like they're not fully reflective of the style that the band had after that and i feel like they're both really like want to say drony i don't know they're definitely they they're both slower albums than like songs that i usually associate with these bands yeah i, I think i think you know what this album was was both of those bands coming off of like the 1960s psychedelic rock era which you know obviously was psychedelic so drugs usually make for slower music unless it's like you know speed (laughs) so (laughs) i feel like psychedelic drugs usually make for slower music and i feel like that entire influence is really heard throughout this entire album uh not to mention you know it it was a lot of uh there's a lot of like blues influence pulled from this in this era as well and really i mean it's kind of like the i don't want to say it's like an antithesis to what like chuck berry and like little richard and stuff were doing in the 50s that like the birth of rock and roll but it's definitely like a moody adolescent version of that Mm. yeah i can see that i definitely i know that when we were listening to them we tried to hear like what would be you know 
what are the things that kind of translate through the eras of the genres that they've like influenced? And honestly, I feel like it's a good bridge between the past. Like you were just talking about psychedelic rock and stuff like it really and and prog progressive is really in there a lot on both of these albums and what I found more interesting though was that it was more reflective of like the style that they would evolve into like Black Sabbath's self-titled self-titled album had so many elements that like were directly like copy pasted to like war pigs or things on mm. paranoia and it, they became like tropes in the genre um and they also evolved into like you know stylistic techniques that didn't that weren't around yet like i was talking with the mister about like the sound you know in war pigs when they go like <laughs> and uh, he makes the guitar noise for it and he knew what I was talking about and it's in the first song Black Sabbath Black Sabbath mm-hmm. and I was like oh my god that's the war pig sound and he was like he was like yeah and we were talking about how that's also the prototype to tapping because like they didn't tapping wasn't a thing yet you know but it became like this fundamental like music technique in like metal the idea that you could tap on a string and like yeah i agree with that i think black sabbath was really functioning on well one they were really young when they released their self-titled and they kind of like had this this sound which like i you know the reason that i would argue that like sabbath is the birth of heavy metal as opposed to you know the other bands that were their contemporaries at the time and the reason that i would argue that iggy and the stooges are you know kind of godfathers of punk rock are basically for the same reason and that's like the amount of like raw and like grit that was there you know um there were definitely other bands at the time doing similar things to them like i would say that like the who could definitely be considered a predecessor to what the stooges would be you know mm-hmm. um especially in attitude they had songs like my generation which i think is definitely building up to what punk rock was eventually going to be but yeah iggy was or like you know the stooges they're just so much grittier than the who and i think that is kind of like by definition the thing that would create the attitude the aesthetic for punk rock as well as black sabbath creating the attitude and the aesthetic for heavy metal yeah i definitely agree with that and then also like you can hear the influences of the stooges on later stooges after like they've broken up right and gotten back together And I think they did raw power in that era, which is like really fundamental to a lot of of punk bands. That album like helped shape like their, uh, was a big part of like their influences and stuff. And so I think that it's really cool that we picked these early albums, like instead of picking like their most known albums or like most popular albums, like let's look at the beginning of the genre. And then like they came out like months apart, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I mean, like when you listen to both of these albums, like particularly like the Stooges, you can hear parts of their songs that are directly lifted 
from other songs of of like bands that came before them Mm. like famously the drum pattern in 1969 is the exact same drum pattern like Bo Diddley used a lot in his music Um, interesting yeah which you know is rock and roll so it's like you're gonna you're gonna take your influences and there was so much that was like a combination of influence and like a lack of musicianship i think (laughs) that made the stooges sound but i would also argue that for fucking black sabbath dude i think that's exactly the same scenario which you just had like you know they they were creative enough as songwriters but they weren't you know as talented as led zeppelin and like jimmy page and the stooges like were creative enough but like they weren't fucking you know they weren't the who like so i think that they're kind of they're kind of even essential to the birth of both of these genres both of these bands just because they are this elementary version of that music you know you know like it's it's a what what is what am i trying to say here like foundational yeah it's foundational it's like the way that bob dylan blew the fucking face off the world with folk music because all of a sudden you know these protest songs and like all of these things were songs anybody could play it became like the voice of the generation because it was it was accessible and it was obtainable and i think that is why both of these styles evolved into you know punk rock and or heavy metal Mm -hmm. yeah i can agree with that Um, some of the things that really jumped out at me, I'm just going to start with like, um, Black Sabbath. So the, the first thing that really jumped out at me is how much some of these tracks like really like sounded like groove metal, like funk Mm -hmm. groove metal. And so that was kind of surprising to me. I wasn't really expecting that. I expected it to, you know, have more clear influences in hair metal because a lot of hair metal does cite like Black Sabbath, but I feel like, you know, again, it's more, maybe more paranoia would have led or paranoid um, would have led to, to that. Like Wicked World, when I like, when I listened to Wicked World, the first thing that jumped out at me was like, oh, this could definitely be something that, you know, rage played or that fits firmly in the, the groove metal genre. And then and then the last song to me, though, had a lick in it or it was a lick or a drum beat or something. All I wrote was paint it black. And I was like, oh, OK. So something about it just sounded like like the Rolling Stones lifted it and put it into paint it black. I don't know. You know, like I mentioned on, I think, the last episode when we were talking about punk and metal, like the Rolling Stones, I don't think get enough credibility for really probably being the first band who embraced what would be the aesthetic and attitude of heavy metal particularly like with their infatuation with the occult and so songs like paint it black and stuff are definitely like you know black sabbath was going to like be and you know i think to talk about just to speak about black sabbath and like their sound particularly like you know not only were they young when they hit fame with their band but like they they literally couldn't play any better because they're like tony iomi famously well one he's left-handed so like fuck mm-hmm. fuck our lives tony iomi it's, it's shitty to be a left-handed guitarist but like also 
he lost the tips of his middle and ring finger on his right <laughs> hand which is like when you're left-handed the fucking hand you use to you know hold chords and so like wow that, that's fucked up yeah dude that sound is like directly attributed to like that injury you know like that is like the extent to which tony iomi could play i think he used to use wax yeah he used to put wax on the tips of his fingers where they had been chopped off to kind of like uh get a better grip on his strings oh wow yeah their sound is like a direct result of that you know because like black sabbath guitar is the most driving part of the band arguably and it is it is their fucking sound you know fun fact about tony iomi that happened when he was 17 as well so like right at the beginning of black sabbath yeah and then the stooges the stooges are an interesting band like they got signed to Electra Records, which was like not a huge record label at the time. And when they like went in to make their album, I guess this original album only had seven songs on it. And they were like, <laughs> they showed up to the studio and the their producer was like, where's the rest of it? And they were like, <laughs> uh... <laughs> because they didn't know anything about making an album you know and so i guess they had like finished like in the turnaround of like a week they had written at least like another three or four songs you know that's like how this album was written it was like fuck we don't have enough songs let's figure out more songs you know so like (laughs) how good is your musicianship really gonna be it was like the turnaround of like a week or two, you know, mm-hmm. but like that created the sound of the Stooges. And I think like that kind of devil may care attitude on like both ends is definitely what, you know, makes these two like the predecessors to punk rock and heavy metal. Yeah. What was your favorite song on the Stooges 1969 album and why? Oh, it's like an interview. <laughs> I was just wondering because like because like there, there there was more popular songs on there than I was expecting. Like I, I wanna be your dog is like so covered so much. Yeah, I was gonna say that's probably one of the most covered songs like in history, like not only in I mean I've heard thousands of punk bands do it, but like you know, just rock and roll in general. I would probably say And it's, like, pretty cliche, but, like, the sound of the song 1969 Mm. is probably, like, my favorite song on the album just for, like, how upbeat it is. But, like, also how much you can hear from that song. I think, like, when, like, you hear that song, it's undeniably punk rock. Like, Mm -hmm. it's undeniably everything that would follow, you know, um everything bands like fear you can really hear a lot in that song you know everything um i think like the general attitude of it is definitely what was going to be you know that same kind of like punky bratty attitude that would like be the ramones later and it's also just kind of like it's kind of a uh, cynical you know <laughs> yeah and sarcastic 
So I was doing a little reading and I found out that a trilogy of songs on this album are, you know, about being in cruel and abusive relationships. And that cruel and abusive relationship is maybe with Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I really like, I really like the song Anne, which is titled after Ann Arbor. And so it's, it would be interesting to me if like they wrote this trilogy of abusive songs, which are, I want to be your dog Anne and little doll, like instead of being about a person is, are they using this metaphor as like escaping like their hometown, you know? I don't know if that's true or if they are about a person and just Anne is titled after Ann Arbor. I think it's an interesting thing to think about, especially how prevalent like songs about abusive relationships are in later like stages of punk rock. You know, a lot of bands call attention to like being in abusive relationships or like writing songs about like being in a one-sided love triangle or one-sided love affair or I just found that content to be really relatable and that even as proto-punk, none of these songs are super political. So, but bands that were political took their inspiration, like part of their inspiration was the Stooges. So I'm wondering what made that shift in content, you know? I think that it's kind of the entirety of like the subculture that this that like this this attitude created because like if you think about rock and roll history what i was saying about the stooges and like what i was saying about the song 1969 is it's so cynical you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like and i don't know if that kind of cynicism was being like recognized or like even like utilized as a tool for music at that point not to this degree i think like i said the who maybe was doing it but they were much more upbeat and so i feel like this cynicism is always indicative of realism you know what I mean so Mm -hmm. I feel like this kind of music like this cynical attitude and like vibe in your music is going to attract intellectuals because intellectuals are realists and like oftentimes you know cynical as shit so I feel like that is probably the reason why punk rock grew into like this like this subculture that it did you know where it was like they weren't they weren't trying to write to pander to like good time partying you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i think that was like a voice to a more idealistic youth than just like a pop culture based youth does that make sense <laughs> it does it kind of yeah it kind of does i definitely can see that then you're the listenership that you're attracting is interested in like different ideas, I guess. And so then people that are, that you influence are going to be more inclined to like write about whatever those ideas are. Right. I think that it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of just like the recognition of like the swine behind the curtain kind of thing, you know, like um, I think every generation kind of has a pop culture era where like all of the songs are about like partying or like, you know, all of these things that are kind of like the popular good time music. But then I feel like every generation also kind of has like an oust, at least since the birth of rock and roll, where it was, I can't fucking relate to that. Like the youth, uh, mm-hmm. a voice of like youth being like, I can't, you know, like I don't want to listen like my parents music talking about like partying or like 
you know, falling in love or whatever. So it's kind of like the music that got born out of teenage angst, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that, Um, especially with how, like, varied, like, so some of the, I was like, who is influenced by the Stooges? And, like, so just off the top of my head, I could list a few. And then, um, so... Sid Vicious covered them way more than I ever thought that he did. Yeah. I thought he just did them. What he covered the Stooges like so much, and then he also so Iggy Pop may have been one of the first artists to mutilate himself on stage, which is something that people do. Well, Sid Vicious did. I mean, only a couple times. I feel like, and then um, there's a couple of gore metal people that do it. There's one band I'm thinking of, but their name isn't coming to mind. I'll put it in the chat. They're like Japanese. But so Sid Vicious covered them. The Ramones listed them as an influence. Henry Rollins of the Black of Black Flag and Henry Rollins band. And then Sonic Youth and Green Day and Nirvana were like some of the big ones. And then for, I guess, Green Day inducted the Stooges into the Rock and Roll Roll Hall of Fame and like in his speech just listed 100 bands that were influenced by the Stooges just to like show how big their reach was and it was just you know like the top 100 it wasn't even like all the bands so I just thought that was really cool like and and that they're like and that's just their reach like in alt and like punk rock Yeah, I mean, I think that what you see from the 50s into the 60s is the attitude of rock and roll starting to change. Like, you know, rock and roll in its, its like, birth was very much that music. It was, like, about partying or, like, having, like, a good time or, like, that girl that you want to date or, like, you know, that's kind of, like, where it was. And you watch, I think, one really visceral... Uh, example of like the changing of rock and roll history can be seen through the Beatles career because Mm -hmm. the Beatles were really excellent musicians and were able to kind of just like morph into whatever was popular at the time you know so like if you follow that progression from like the 50s-esque like Beatles into like I want to hold your hand kind of music into like what you got in the late mid to late 60s and or late 60s, I should say, like, Abbey Road, right? So, like, um, the attitude of rock and roll started to become what it was going to be, which was, like, this uh, this kind of, like, too cool for school tough guy evolution started happening. And then by the time that Iggy and the Stooges happened in 1969, um like I said, there were bands like The Who and stuff that were kind of, like, moving in that direction, but, like, you know, they, I guess they were kind of just, like, the first breakout to, like, just not really give a fuck, you know? And Mm -hmm. once that happens, then, like, I feel like that sets the stage for the rest of rock and roll's existence, you know? Like, watching somebody up on stage, like, mutilate themselves, you know, like, not always, I think, I think it was, it said so much for, like, teen angst, and, like, it said so much for art in Mm -hmm. the same, you know, in the same breath, and so that's why 
everybody who saw that was like, this guy's fucking amazing. You know, like self-destruction was always, I think, a part of rock and roll with like, you know, the, even if you look back into like the jazz days and like, you know, like musicians have always kind of been outliers in terms of, or like outlaws, should I say. But like, (laughs) yeah, I think it was just the first time where somebody was just like, holy fuck, you know, like I think Kurt Cobain gets uh, credited a lot for like smashing his guitar on stage and like that being a really big moment in rock and roll history. But like, I mean, I feel like the Stooges were doing shit like that way before, you know. Yeah, and I think even Jimmy may have smashed a gu- Jimi Hendrix. Uh, he lit his guitar on fire and smashed it famously during the national anthem. Which, yeah, is a terrible, like, uh, please don't let that be your favorite Jimi Hendrix song. It is a terrible song. Like, <laughs> the national Jimi anthem. Hendrix, it's terrible. It's terrible. And people are like, oh my God, what he did is so amazing and I'm like yeah no <laughs> no he's so I feel like songs. it was kind of that same thing it's it's that like uh low-hanging fruit kind of like statement right like yeah when Sinead oh. O'Connor went on SNL or whatever and ripped up a picture of the Pope after like singing Bob Marley's war like yeah all right calm down <laughs> you know what I mean we yeah uh yeah so i hear you that like people people like even though that was a big moment it wasn't the first yeah yeah i i think to you know just to reiterate what was most impressive to everybody about iggy and the stooges and iggy pop as a front man particularly was just that they genuinely didn't give a fuck you know Mm mm-hmm and um that that just blew people's minds i didn't think that i don't think that you know rock and roll started to represent freedom like that until that like real rebel attitude came out of it and you know i would argue like david bowie was at the forefront of that as well in terms of like his gender challenging fashion and his like complete disregard for <laughs> lyrical timing <laughs> in a lot of it it's songs. so good though it's so far it's like it is the style like it is the style i don't know yeah i mean yeah. you know all through like the late 70s like when the sex pistols and all of those bands were getting big they all listened to bowie they all listened to the stooges you know what i mean like it it was crucial to like that identity that was coming out and like it it genuinely I think was for punk rock at least just the idea of not giving a fuck on the flip side with Black Sabbath I think the thing that was so appealing to you know would-be heavy metal fans moving forward was the kind of like the same thing that's really appealing about the Church of Satan right like (laughs) <laughs> I kind of I kind of like view them as two of the same because like the church of Satan is not about worshiping Satan at right. all. It's more about kind of just being like extremely uh contrarian, you know what I mean? To like the idea of religion or like to, to almost to the point of just being ridiculous, like where you would go under like something like the title the church of satan you know (laughs) and i think that's exactly what black sabbath was doing they just picked an image that was so shocking to the world you know 
and just so happened that they had a sound to match that and that's why like sabbath doesn't really progress throughout their albums i mean they definitely they have some songs that are different like changes but their sound is pretty much the same yeah yeah fucking ballads i'm like give me changes give me um (laughs) (laughs) ozzy osbourne's um mama i'm coming home (laughs) (laughs) it's like fucking metal ballads should be their own genre but yeah i know i so this is the first time i listened to the self-titled album by black sabbath And like I said, I found it really surprising that they had some elements that were recognizable in their own stuff later. But I found it to be really interesting that, you know, Ozzy was this super theatrical front man, but a lot of the songs, so this was also an abbreviated album. I think it only had like five songs on it and like two of them were mashups. Yeah, Um, I think it had an A side and a B side and each had three songs. Okay, yeah. Something like that. And so what what I found interesting was the lack of vocals. I mean, I guess that kind of comes out of like psychedelic, psychedelic and progressive era stuff where we where we were moving from. But yeah. I just thought, oh, how did they how did he transform himself into, I mean, it was definitely the next album, Paranoid, like, which I think a lot of people, like, I feel like those two albums are so different. Um, And I think it's because of marketability and content, because like, I'm so sad we didn't listen to Paranoid um, because I am not a super huge Doom fan, but that was the second thing that popped up for me was how Doomy this was. Like it was, this is the, like the Doom metal that is so hard for me. I'm like, why is this going so slow? Like. Uh, uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, every fucking band after, after this, uh, in doom metal has only ever made it their mission to sound exactly like black sabbath so <laughs> you know what i mean like if you listen to bands like orchid if you listen to bands like fucking ice dragon pentagram you know so many bands especially through the 1980s doom metal scene they all sound exactly like black sabbath which is really interesting that like it spurred this entire genre of and like generations of bands to come because like to this day like even when you hear modern day kind of like do metal bands like stoner do metal bands like the sword they all still sound exactly like black sabbath Mm. i mean this you know this album is do metal and they didn't even (laughs) realize it at the time you know they didn't (laughs) no they did not um (laughs) Yeah, and it's so just like not what I would uh, uh, like associate Black uh, Black Sabbath as sounding like, but I can see how like if this is what Black Sabbath is for people, it's so different than the Black Sabbath that I know. Like I feel like, and but it makes the theatrics like make sense. It makes the biting a bat, you know, and snorting a line of ants and yeah. peeing, peeing. I and- think probably the cocaine 
makes that make sense also. (laughs) Yes. But, like, you know, I mean, between Paranoid and their self-titled, like, arguably, I mean, their self-titled in my brain is untouchable. Um just because that was the world's first introduction to Black Sabbath. And like, I, I really like dude metal. Um, I really yes. like that whole moody sound, but I do uh, agree. So yeah, I've read that um, it was one song was about an apparition that came to visit one of the band members. And then that's what made them change their entire sound to like this literal sound. Okay, I have not read that one, but you should post that wherever you found it because I would it's, like to read that. Yeah, it's on their history, Black Sabbath history. I that makes sense. I guess. I mean, I don't. I don't know. That sounds a lot like they're they're really trying to like pump their image to the <laughs> yeah. like. Did you ever hear? This is totally off topic, but do you remember the band The Mars Volta? yes oh my gosh yes did you ever hear the album that they did that was supposedly like a concept album written about like when they found a ouija board on tour and every song on the album is just about them communing with this spirit on tour yes yeah yeah (laughs) not real is that not real (laughs) i mean i'm maybe i what i don't know that that is a whole other debate like if you believe ouija boards are real then like maybe it it was real i i think that it definitely fits their their whole image or maybe you know their rock stars are probably doing a lot of drugs i don't know but um both are true both could be true (laughs) yeah i don't know in terms of like this kind of bullshit i really feel like you know like when it comes to like ethereal things or like um supernatural things i feel like they're as real as you make them you know so because like everybody perceives reality from their own perspective so like if you believe it like you'll probably experience it you know yeah yeah i mean i grew up in hawaii and like hawaii's haunted as fuck dude (laughs) like it just is and i think that it's because we grew up knowing that that like makes that true though you know yeah uh, this is kind of a weird tangent, but have you ever seen or experienced anything? Because I have on this island, like on this literal island. <laughs> yeah, dude. No, yeah, no joke. Uh, for sure. For, <laughs> this, this is taking a turn. Uh, for anybody <laughs> listening, we apologize. We're gonna we're gonna go off topic here for a second. But yeah, dude, Hawaii is Hawaii is a uh, it's a lot. There's you know I think like in any place where the old gods are still very much alive um you're just gonna have that kind of energy you know yeah and like i grew up my entire life like as long as i can remember hearing about like the night marchers at the hayows and you know all kind of ghost stories about you know morgan's corner and the faceless lady at kailua drive-in and like you know my dad and my aunties and uh stuff telling us all these stories especially like metahune and stuff um and i like was always pretty weary of it i think growing up but then like when i i think like my first big one was i was working in a restaurant up here in waimea the at the time it was called um daniel tabo's but the building was originally 
the chalk store and it was built in 1901 and it was the town's first general store and it was like a situation where like the family used to live in the back part of the store you know yeah Um, super common in hawaii too that um people who work in stores will live above the store or behind the, the restaurant front yeah exactly so like half of the like and it was crazy too because most of my life when I was growing up that building was like pretty abandoned um and it wasn't until it became this restaurant that it actually like got cleaned up so when they when they went in to like renovate this building they found a bunch of shit in it from the early 1900s like sick stuff dude like the clawfoot bathtub that was in the bathroom was like still a fixture when I was working there and it was beautiful um the the fans were like on pulley systems there was like a spring-loaded like doorbell situation when you walked in the front door but anyway there was all kinds of weird shit that happened there when I was working there like the employee locker rooms were through the back of the kitchen and like the building's old as fuck so it's basically like just a tiny tiny room in the kitchen but there were lockers in there and like at any given point throughout the night like there were the door to the room was always closed but like you could always hear the locker doors just like slamming you know (laughs) opening and slamming uh the music in the chef's room used to go on and off all by itself all the time and like you'd hear it go on and turn it off and it would come on like 10 minutes later I went in one morning and all of the silverware on all of the tables was arranged into circles and I was the only person (laughs) that was there and I fucking walked in and I looked at it and I was like I'm not fucking doing this I'm not dealing with this and I walked out (laughs) and refused to go back in until anyone else was there (laughs) like just like you know stupid little things like that (laughs) but like I said I've, I've always believed in you know uh like I guess we call them obake here it's like the japanese word for ghost and that's always just kind of been present in my life because it always was present in my life nobody ever told me that wasn't real you know what i mean yeah same it was always like a part of my like upbringing too and so it's nice to be in a place that's so, so alive where like everybody has that as common knowledge because on the mainland like that's not as common knowledge, you know, like that Mm -hmm. ghosts are real, you know, it it still is like a belief, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, why do you believe that or whatever, instead of like acknowledging that, you know, it is a reality and these things are happening. Um, the, The main one, this isn't even like, I think this is my first experience. It might be my second, but, um, I lived in the dorms on campus and like night marchers, you know, used to go like their, their old trail went through part of where the university is supposedly. Mm. I don't know if that's true, but um, the, for like a month um, I was on the third floor and then we were friends with people on the second floor. And um, for like a month, I kept getting visited by a presence through my window and it wasn't a nice one. Like nice ones had come in the dorm or whatever and just passed on this one like to like wake you up and stuff and um so I was talking I was pagan um and then 
I was talking with someone who was Jewish and I was talking with a Catholic person and we all three of us were getting visited and we only found out because we were like talking about it, like how our sleep kept getting like interrupted. And so we all did our own sort of like protection spells like that night. And then like, like he tried to really like fuck with me and the other two like that night. But then after that, that was the last that we ever saw him. So it was just crazy because like three different people with three different belief systems all are seeing and experiencing the same thing like yeah it's you know I mean like I said I think it's it's just kind of like that that mentality like whether it's real or it's not real it's kind of like if you believe it's real then like you know what I mean like it's you're definitely susceptible to having an experience because it's like what is the word for that um apophenia I think that a real thing what is that that sounds uh, cool yeah it's the it's like the feeling or sensation that you get because you believe something like is going to happen your brain will start identifying like things that fit that narrative you know Apo- like so apophenia yeah apophenia wow yeah <laughs> anyway yeah, yeah, this went some place. A vehicle. <laughs> Quick detour right there, guys. Um, Black Sabbath. Black um, Sabbath. What yeah. was your favorite song on that album, I guess? Oh, The Wizard, you know. <laughs> easily, easily. Um, I'm such a Lord of the Rings nerd for any of you guys who don't know that. I... Um, I have a Tolkien tattoo behind my ear. Uh, They're one of the first, like, I guess, trilogy, but like series of books that I've ever read, you know, and I've just been in love with them ever since. So, you know, the the sheer fact that the wizard is about Gandalf in itself is like, (laughs) that's enough for me. Um, (laughs) What about you? Did you did you like any of them? (laughs) I did. I liked Wicked World a lot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That really uh, resonated with me. I think it because it was the most groovy. Like, Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely see how like Paranoid is a much more approachable album for you than you like that like groovy, groovy Black Sabbath. I mean, they got really groovy like when they started moving into like songs like Sweet Leaf and stuff, you know? Mm, yeah yeah and that's the black sabbath that i like know so this was very like especially as an introduction to the world and then like being so foundational to heavy metal like this is not what i think of i think of like yeah crazy train sweet leave paranoid um crazy train was technically just aussie that was a that's just an aussie one right yeah (laughs) when he he decided to go solo But yeah, you know, I mean, I think like this band was so, I guess, you know, one really interesting band or like couple of bands is Lemmy's progression from like the 60s into like the 70s metal scene with like Motorhead. Yeah, and Motorhead actually crosses genres as well from metal to pop. Also, surprise, we didn't think that this would go on for an hour. Oh, huh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, well, I guess our whole ghost story divergent did take some time. But Lemmy. Yeah, Lemmy. If you listen to Hawkwind, which was like the band that he was playing bass in uh, before Motorhead ever existed, you know, like they were definitely kind of like a psychedelic poppy band, you know. It's actually pretty funny to look at pictures of them because they definitely had like that whole uh, very 1960s, like, I don't want to say like flower child, but definitely like really flowy garments and stuff, kind of like style of dress, which was funny to see Lemmy like that. Yeah, I imagine that would be very, very silly to see because he's so hard, like to me. Yeah, uh, we'll post a picture of it. It's pretty funny. Yeah, he, it's definitely a far cry from like the Iron Crosses and like, you know, World War II paraphernalia and like the leather and the, the like cow, cowboy hat, I guess you would call that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, he's so like, I think that was like a really interesting transition to see like what happened with like the birth of heavy metal but like also punk rock right because like without those two influences like motorhead doesn't exist like motorhead was like all the heaviness of like heavy metal combined with like all the raw fastness of like punk rock and you know in my mind like one of the best bands of all time and so i feel like thank god for that (laughs) but yeah you got anything else you want to add on to either of these things? Don't think so. You know, I really, again, just want to articulate my appreciation because these are two albums I never would seek out. Um, my go-to from this whole era is Jimi Hendrix. Uh, and he is, Jimmy is God. Um, and so... I appreciate the that we did pick such two foundational albums and that, you know, you could hear stuff, um, even if it like changed over time, like you could hear influence and in sound and um, lyrical content. Just, I think that's really cool. So great job suggesting these and I'm looking forward to doing more deep dives um, in the future. What about you? I guess I just want to predecess this with, you know, if you guys are interested, if you've never heard these albums, which like if you haven't, like where the fuck have you been? But if you mm-hmm. haven't heard these albums, um, Black Sabbath, their self-titled, was released on February 13th, 1970 by Vertigo Records and Warner Bros. Records in the United States. It was released on June 1st, 1970. Um, so if you guys are interested in that... The Stooges, it was released August 5th, 1969. So, you know, I mean, like we were saying, you know, mere months away from each other um, and just it's on, you know, separate ends of the earth because, you know, the the Stooges were American and uh, Black Sabbath was, you know, British. So like that's pretty cool it's pretty cool that you know that foundational like movement of rock and roll or like movements i guess of rock and roll were happening at like basically the same time 
and went to such different places but such similar places too like i guess that really illustrates what we were trying to talk about with like punk rock and metal and like the chicken and the egg situation you know yeah they were co-eggs and co-chickens at the same time (laughs) they were co-eggs and (laughs) co-chickens yeah Awesome. Well, do you have any anybody to shout out? Any bands you want to shout out this week? I want to shout out The Passengers, which are... All right, yeah, The Passengers. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, talking about The Stooges and that very famous song, The Passenger. Uh, check out my friend's band, The Passengers. They are, you know, they're awesome. And uh, you can find them at The Passengers SD on instagram nice what about you um i'm going to shout out in in this whole vein there is a band that does kind of like folk punk it's all acoustic it's real occult um and they're called the bridge city sinners and the song I want to shout out is Unholy Hems. A lot of their music is about the same sort of like dark occulty content, but like Unholy Hems, the mister found and he was like, you're really going to like this. And like, I did. And I think you all might too. Yeah. Anyway, cool, dude. Right on. I guess if you don't have any organizations to shout out or anything like that, then we can call this a wrap. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, I guess um, I do want to shout out. um, There's uh, an organization called 309 Punk Project, and they do art and acoustic sets. They have artists in residence and they uh, their focus in this year, 2022, is facilitating the growth of their the growth of their community by hosting international, national and regional artists for residencies at their um, residency house. And so they like do a lot of collecting and creating punk uh, memorabilia for a punk archive. Cool. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this uh, rambly episode and stuff. All right. (laughs) Bye.